How can we make Democrats kick ass again? This is the Blue Amp channel. I'm Matt Robeson, your host. We are live on YouTube. It'll be up as an audio podcast at Beyond Politics. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, there's a video here at Blue Amp. Our question of the day is how can Democrats get sharper, more aggressive, and stronger with their messaging and win more? To answer that, I've got my Blue Amp channel partner, former Biden ad writer, Democratic communications guru Cliff Schechter, and our special guest, celebrated political scientist, modeling expert, messaging maven, and forthcoming best-selling author, Dr. Rachel Bittekoffer. I say that like I'm Tommy Lee Jones calling you Dr. Richard Kimball. So glad to have you. I want to get right into this question of the day. How can um, Democrats start kicking ass again. The again is doing a lot of work in that sentence, but we'll just gloss over that. Doc, you've got a book coming out on this entire subject. Please tell us about it. The book is called Hit Em Where It Hurts. It's about getting Democrats, liberals, nice people who got into government because they care about policy and good governance to understand that you're up against a well-financed propaganda system and that it doesn't matter how rational or reasonable your sales pitch is to swing voters, they're never going to hear that pitch. I think a lot of people look at the shit show that we watch all day long and they're like, I don't understand why people are okay with this. That is such a wrong assumption because it's not that Americans are okay with it. No one watches the news. That's America, folks. We're the freaks. We make messaging that's done by liberals and for liberals and liberals love it and it doesn't do jack shit to win elections i said the back end of the book is about how do we do it how do you literally do it and some of that work has already been done to disrupt the midterm effect by magic guys it wasn't some magic thing that intervened to save our asses it was a lot of people myself and a lot of other people working towards fixing messaging and we fixed it where we could and where we did fix it we've dominated their asses arizona oh. again places like that so 22 is really a real good field test of what effective hard-hitting hit them how where it hurts messaging can do for us electorally let's break down some examples because everything you say makes a ton of sense to me in theory as a general proposition but you guys have both been really good recently at pointing out what is working and what is not working so well rachel let's just go back to you for a second on your podcast, it's called The Cycle on Substack. You interviewed Lee McGowan. And if you don't recognize that name, that's because you probably know her as Politics Girl. What does she do well? How is she a good example of effective democratic messaging? Because there's no wonk in what she's doing. What Lee McGowan is standing in front of that fridge and doing is talking about politics at a digestible, normal human being level. What she explained to me is like, look, I'm a suburban mom and like I started talking to other people and I realized none of them, they don't know who the speaker of the house is, they don't follow politics at all. So she wanted to make civics accessible. We're not meeting the electorate where it is. You can be 120 IQ and dumb civically if you haven't studied the government, if you don't understand the separation of power system and you don't read news, which is about 50, maybe more, percent of our fellow Americans. They don't vote, they don't read any news, their algorithms never show them any news. I think Lee gets this just intrinsically that you're talking to an audience that knows nothing. Do the low-hanging fruit, the big macro point. The Republican Party is coming for your freedom. Like anything else, if you don't follow it closely, look, we expect the people should because this is our government, this is our politics, and we know the importance it has in our lives. But if you don't follow the NBA, you're not going to know what traveling is. You could be the smartest person in the world. 
You're not going to know anything. And that's a lot of Americans. You follow the shit that you care about. So, Cliff, you use the perfect analogy. Sports comes in really handy to explain civic ignorance. What do you know about football, about the NFL draft, about the NBA roster, or whatever it might be? Every person that's watching this has probably met people who will come and say, I don't know who my own state is. They're not embarrassed about that, is my point. They're proud of it. Cliff, there's a great example of this that you just... You went viral with this last week on the Blue Amp channel. We put up a video that you brought to our attention and you broke down and commented on about an interrogation that Dan Goldman, the freshman congressman from New York, many people got to know him through the impeachment hearings. He was the counsel to the House Democrats during the first Trump impeachment. Of course, many people didn't because they're not political obsessives like us. So Dan Goldman, freshman member of Congress, New York, he has these two stooges on the witness stand, and he totally breaks down in a very understandable way why they're full of it and why they should be mocked. And you pointed out it was such a great breakdown. Just tell us what that was about and why that was effective communications. There's a change in generations. Love Nancy Pelosi. She's on the Mount Rushmore of legislators. But they grew up in a different age with different communications. And when, yes, I would still say the Republican Party was too conservative, but like a Jim Jeffords or a Lincoln Chafee or whatever, people you actually could get along with and hang out with, it was an all-out war at that point, where the right became more aggressive, they became less democratic, they believed in democracy a hell of a lot less. So what you have is you have Republicans just even doing stupid little shit, right? Like the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party. Like they're doing things purposely to kind of mock Democrats, insult Democrats. I'll never forget them wearing the Band-Aids to the 2004 convention. John Kerry, here he is, turned the boat back into fire and was a hero, and these fucking cowards who would go nowhere near war were mocking him by wearing Band-Aids because of the Purple Heart he got. Democrats, we need to get to a point where we realize this is the battle we're in, which is anytime somebody puts a mic in front of your mouth, mock them or point out yeah. they're full of shit. And every time somebody puts a mic in front of your mouth and you have a, point, a chance to point out your accomplishments in stories, in language people can understand, you do that. These are all messaging opportunities. Explain it. And what Dan Goldman did is while he was taking them apart, he was telling stories. He was explaining it. And Eric Swallow, I put up this speech where he pointed out when they kicked Ilan Omar off of the committees and claimed it was due to anti-Semitism, Kevin McCarthy himself, before the 2020 election, sent out a video that in it had George Soros had, I think it was Lloyd Blankenfein, it had basically a number of Jews. It said the Democrats were buying the election. There's a billion other examples you know of, from Nick Fuentes going to dinner with Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene's best friends with Ye and Nick Fuentes and whatever. We go through a million different examples here of their anti-Semitism. And what Goldman did is realize, I've got a couple minutes, I've got a microphone in front of me, and I know Rachel yelled about this at the time, too, when people were like, oh, Democrats might screw up live impeachment hearings. And I was like, no, put the microphone in front of people so they'll see this stuff in prime time, and for once we'll have an answer to Fox. Last thing I'll say, and I'll kick it to Rachel. Goldman took these people apart. I put it out there. I said this is what Democrats need to do and talked about some specifics. We've gotten 125, 150,000 views on that video. And the key is, and I'm going to, we're going to be doing a lot more of that at the channel here for folks who want to tune in and subscribe. When Democrats, and there's a number of them, and Rachel can disagree with me on who some of them are, or, you know, but I would say Adam Schiff, I would say Katie Porter, I would say Eric Swallow, I would say Cory Booker, and there's Gretchen Whitmer, often who get modern communications, get what we're up against, which is a rising authoritarian, and let's call it what it is, fascist movement. 
and are willing to do these things, which is when you mock people, they have trouble coming back from that. When you prove that they're complete jokes, they have trouble coming back from that. When you tell people you're all the time what you've accomplished in stories, then they'll remember it. And so Democrats started doing this more, even up to Joe Biden. Did I want him to say fascism? Yes, but he said semi-fascism. And by getting the F word, that F word, in the conversation and saying MAGA Republicans are semi-fascist, we saw that, and this is where I really am done, and go for it, Rachel, which is the Republicans who voted Democratic, I know I talk a lot, but the Republicans who voted Democratic in the past election cited democracy as their number one issue. And Rachel, this is actually a perfect segue to something you did to your 150,000 Twitter followers recently. You, you hashtagged it with strategic mockery. Cliff just invoked the name of Eric Swalwell, and you pointed out a wonderful ad he did for Insurrection LLC purporting to be a law firm to help insurrectionists. Rachel, you pointed this out as a prime example of strategic mockery. So why is that the way to go? What people need to understand is you do not change minds with facts. There's extensive literature on this in psychology and political science and other disciplines. Facts, when you present them to other people, because facts don't change people's minds. And oh, this, when, is, this is terrible when you, news. You know that the word Democrat comes from the original Greek, which means repeats facts smugly. <laughs> yes, right. Very good. So, so you know that you can't change minds with facts, okay? Even if you can get the facts in front of the eyeballs that you need to change, you can't change them with facts. And so when the Congress changed and the House changed, and it was clear the Republicans were going to abuse, really seriously abuse the committee oversight process, I started talking publicly about, look, you cannot engage in these topics in any way other than to mock them. Because if you refute their hunter biden shit or their faulty shit with facts and data all you have done is legitimize their completely illegitimate investigation. as soon as you've done that's how crt became a thing what did democrats do they didn't fucking mock them they didn't go on right. track, which is what i wanted to do on a whole different topic on youngkin no no what did they do they defended teaching race in schools and CRT and it's not real and it's not this thing and it's nowhere it. All right, total disaster because now they've legitimated this illegitimately completely fucking articulated and made up in a lab Republican talking point. So, yep. so it's really important for people to understand like strategic mockery is not the dumb like approach. It is actually the one that is based on psychology and understanding human behavior. What you should be doing is you should be belittling them in whatever way their tweet or their comment most opens them up to be belittled about and not engaging on the substance of their stupid, crazy shit. Because as soon as you've done that, they've won. Doesn't matter what you say, they have won. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. There's a counterpoint here to what you're both saying. So I want to kind of tease this out a little bit for our viewers and our listeners. The counterpoint is, wait a second, Dr. Rachel Binnikoffer and Cliff Schechter, messaging guru. I've watched years of Jon Stewart. I've watched years of John Oliver. I've no watched years of it. Stephen Colbert and other satirists who do belittle these people, who do cut them down to size with humor and deal a little bit of information from the bottom of the deck. And despite years of all of that consistent mockery, it hasn't managed to stem the tide of fascism. So what's the differentiator? What is different about what you guys are saying 
from that kind of pushback. Cliff, can I just say something real quick on that? Yeah, go for it. It's really important for people to understand that if you watch the Colbert Show, the Colbert Report, or the Late Show, you are not typical. Performers in the progressive space like Colbert and Daily Show still have sizes of less than 0.001% of the American population, okay? So no, no one has seen strategic mocking unless you're bringing it out to the average, and that's why I'm so focused on distribution. Messaging reform Mm -hmm. is a train that is left the station and is rolling down the tracks now it's about how do you get that shit in front of eyeballs how do you get it on the view gma espn during the nfl playoffs like that's the kind of shit that we need to be doing because ultimately it doesn't matter if you're running the good messaging or bad if no one sees it no one sees it the reason why like there was a, a couple john stewart clips a couple colbert clips that every once in a while went so viral that some regular folks saw them and could tell you about them but most of the time They're not. And the thing is, you need people who are in the political arena. So when Swalwell does it, when Goldman does it, there's much more of a chance that the folks we need to see are going to see it, right? That it's going to reach people because they're in their reading now, not necessarily when they're on the House floor, but when they go out and they're campaigning and they're among people and they're in that kind of thing, it may make the local news when they're giving speeches and that. And so... You know, the right is, and I've screamed about this a lot on here and anywhere else I've been, and I'm sure Rachel has too, the distribution is one of the most important things. And it's not an accident that, that, that I'm not going to, I promise I won't obsess on history, but it's not an accident that Reagan's elected in 80 and it's the late, mid, early to 70s that AEI is created in 73 and ALEC and the NRA gets radicalized in 77. Moral majority was 78, I believe. Like all these things start being created to communicate with their folks the kind of messages they want to communicate. And we just sort of sit there like, $50 million in a Turning Point USA. I went down when Charlie Kirk reached out to me, come do his shitty debate show. I went, okay? And the reason I went, number one, I'm not afraid of Charlie Kirk. I'm not afraid of <laughs> Is anyone? Number two, <laughs> I wanted to see the Turning Point campus. And where other opportunity would I ever have to be brought in there? And it was clear to me the producers had no fucking idea who I was, right? So I end up in the Turning Point campus, and this is what I found from there, guys. Four four to five story office buildings in one compound belong to Turning Point USA, have fancy lighted signage outside of it. One of them, by the way, is called the Turning Point Logistics Center, and it's a whole dedicated fucking building, okay? Where is it, Rachel? This Just out of interest. Tempe, Arizona, some of the most expensive Arizona yeah. real estate you can find, too, okay? And what they're doing with that is they have, I was in the studio for a few hours, I saw all his interns, I met so many young people, they're all on the payroll, they're flying around to college campuses all around the U.S., and we're doing everything on elbow grease and gums gum guys and so i've been pretty vocal about this for the last year or two we have to stop telling rich people we don't want their fucking money okay because we need our own billionaires like don't swear off donors because you're going to compete in ohio against all those super PACs and it doesn't matter what tim ryan had to say because i'm sitting right here in cincinnati they dumped 50 million dollars in here and before that all the polling i was seeing that was private at worst ryan was down two points and some of them he was tied and then boom, they dumped 50 million in from live obsessive weirdo Peter Thiel who wants to live forever and from Mitch McConnell, the turtle. And we were screwed. Rachel's exactly right. The DNC invested in those racist guys, but we are limited in our money because they have a, they don't have one or two billionaires. We have one or two. Okay. We have Reed Hoffman and George Soros, as far as I understand. Those guys right. also, but, they also, but they're also repeating it. 
all day on Fox News. And for yeah, have that cliff. But in the book, I talk about you just were pointing out this. They're benefiting from a forty-year strategic investment and a multi-billion-dollar strategic investment. I want to point out that it's not just the billionaire money. It's not just the billionaire money. But we've been aggressively documenting on the Blue Amp channel and on the Beyond Politics podcast the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, coming in from Russia. There are these funnels of yes. dark money. Yes. And I've had Senator Sheldon Whitehouse on the show talking yeah. about with all the resources of the U.S. Senate, the U.S. government behind him, he cannot it. track the hundreds of millions of dollars. I want to live in a world where there's no billionaire money. Yep. We don't live in that world. And we nope. have unilaterally disarmed ourselves in both of those categories, right? At the state level, yeah. believe in, and we can't do that because if we fail to beat back fascism, which we are on the brink of right now, yes. American democracy is in crisis. There was only, they had a coup. Those people have never been held accountable. They hold positions of power. That's a crisis. And we have to, we have got to fight them on the playing field that exists, not the one we want to exist. That is so, so true. Let, so let me loop us back to the question that we started with, which was basically how can we make Democrats kick ass again? What I'm hearing you guys is two things. They're closely related. They're intimately related, but they're a little bit distinct. We're talking about inputs and outputs. And Rachel, what you've delineated is the input side a moment ago, which is the billions of dollars that are funneling in to the right wing and then the output side, which is how they have a 40-year system that they've built up of turning that money into messaging output that's consistent, it's pervasive, it is being blared into people's nervous systems. It's not messaging, and it it's works. propaganda. It's yeah. propaganda. Yeah. I want to get caught on the money side of this because the inputs are extremely important, but we're not going to do much about them. I want to talk a little bit, though, about the output side, because, again, the question is, how can we start kicking ass? So we've defined strategic mockery. We've defined storytelling. I want to throw something else at both of you. And Cliff, I think you're going to know where I'm going with this. I'll actually turn it to you first, because you know this is a private bugaboo of mine. We may not have, I'm going to sound like the wizard at the end of The Wizard of Oz, like, we don't have this, but I'll tell you what we have got, okay? We don't have the billions of dollars. We don't have the campus for Turning Point. We don't have Charlie Kirk. And we don't have conservative talk radio. What do we have? We have the world's most skilled storytellers. Because don't tell me for a second that the majority yeah. of Hollywood isn't liberal. And what has always frosted me, what's always baffled me, is the fact that we have the world's most skilled storytellers who are on our side, and we have not deployed their expertise. Now, Cliff, you wrote creative ads for Joe Biden in the last election, and you have a small part of the wind share of what we delivered for ourselves in 2020. You did an amazing job. I'm not denigrating the work you did. But writ large, across the Democratic Party, if we have the best reality TV makers, right? We have the best movie makers. We have Steven freaking Spielberg. Why can we not create more compelling storytelling that gets our message across than we're currently doing. Cliff, enlighten me. And my whole thing has been, actually, I've included two groups, right? Always. There's Hollywood, and then there's, we're the home of trial lawyers, too. Trial lawyers don't win in the end. Great trial lawyers on, here's a graph of whatever. They get up and they provide, it's a show to 12 regular Americans. 
Yeah. Right. Yes, 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 right. Yes. Watch Chicago or something. To 12 regular Americans, they are getting up and putting on a show. And I've done consulting for some of them in certain cases. So I've seen these guys and how good performers they are. And that's what's so, in the end, fucking frustrating is that we have the Hollywood talent. We have trial lawyers. We have people that intrinsically get that you are not going to appeal to people by making a laundry list of facts. And... You know, what I'll say to you, Matt, in terms of, and again, like, I don't expect I'll be writing ads this time around for Biden. What I'll say about having written ads for Biden is they were much better and gave us much more leeway than I think a lot of folks did in the past. But there still is a democratic thing where you can only do what you're allowed to do. So trust me when I say I had ideas that never saw the light of day. If we can change the culture, and it's changing with some of these folks I'm talking about, of our party, so everybody gets that every time you have a microphone in front of you, you need to be mocking or messaging your positive accomplishments. You need to be seeking out places where regular people will listen to you and speaking to them and sharing these messages. You need to be investing money in television ads and digital ads and everything else so that you can reach every single way that we can reach them. We're going to be at a disadvantage. But when we voluntarily, unilaterally, as Rachel said, give up opportunities when there's a microphone in front of us and say, I don't, I'm not going to lower myself to that level, it makes me want to punch a hole in the screen. If we have the culture of we're going to hit first, we're going to hit back, we're going to hit hard. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. I've been generally very pleased with Biden, both in the campaign in 20 and especially post, and especially saying the F word, right? It's mm-hmm. a huge thing, and he's driving that message, and he's going to be an effective, just a great nominee for us in 2024. I have no worries about him, but there's still a lot of the down ballot that we need work on. And when we look at what happened in 2022, North Carolina, Florida, Ohio, they all get left on the board. These are some of the best pickup opportunities, and they ran the wrong strategy. It was not innovative. We ran instead against Republicans and approached swing voters in the way that they do, which is not to sell us and a policy, but to discount the alternative option, which is how their messaging is. And not attack our own party, right? And and never, right? 70% of your fellow citizens have never heard the name Kevin McCarthy, okay? I'm going to repeat that. 70% of your fellow citizens have no idea who Kevin McCarthy is today. Here's what I'm hearing, all right? I'm hearing inputs. So money, we need more of it. And we don't have the same dark money that they do, so that's a problem. Outputs, strategic mockery, more aggression, less fear of saying what needs to be said, more plain spoken language. I'm a Jewish man, but even I can take a cue from Jesus. He spake to them in parables, else he spake not. Therefore, we could learn something from that. I wanna talk for just a moment about not just message, but medium. Because one of the things that, again, bothers me about our inability to leverage the assets we do have, the Hollywood talent, the TV talent, is the way we, Rachel, you were referring a moment ago to not just the wrong strategy, but a lot of these tried and true, anodyne, no new, fresh, innovative thinking approaches to talking about politics. It has baffled me for a long time now. How did Donald Trump become popular again? How did he become a household name again? He was on a reality TV show. Why isn't there a democratic reality TV show? Why, when we run a presidential primary like we did in 2020, is it all CNN making money by hosting debates that no one could give a shit about? Why don't we have 
an awesome reality TV show where there's a little romance. Let's make them all live together. Yeah. The like, staff you know, are getting up to Who's it. Get the rose? I love it. Dude. Exactly. Right. Like, there's the fucked up there's thing, guys. If we did that, the ratings would be off. That's the thing. We're choking about it, but like when you realize, I think Oliver Willis has made this comparison often that in these days politics is the WWE. And if you realize that, it, that like Republicans do, the smash mouth shit and the stories are the little stories they always present in wrestling matches of the romance and the this and the... Yes, I do. If we, if we, it's called emotion. Yeah. Right. If, if we do all of that, <laughs> yeah. we can actually do feel the need to say one important thing too, because Rachel mentioned Turning Point and you mentioned reality show, like Anna Paulina Luna Meyerhofer, the 14th, whatever the fuck her real name is, the fake, I it's care about my heritage. George Santos, her name yes, is Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is. Do you know what she was? She, she the other she, one that was Jew-ish. Yes, right, she was Jew, <laughs> right. She was at, she was the head of Latino outreach at Turning Point USA, which, and she was trying, she's a failed Instagram influencer and model. And if we go through, Mike Pence was a talk radio host. If you sit there on the right and you go through, you will find again and again, you know, Loesch, I used to mock, sorry, thinking about mocking, I piss her off on Twitter, so I think she blocked me, because she once pitched a sitcom in Hollywood where she called about hot moms and she was gonna be one of the moms. She wanted to be a star. Breitbart moved out to LA to become a star. He failed as a comedian. So did Kurt Schleister having to pronounce his stupid name. So they became angry right-wingers. That's, these people are failed art. Hitler was a failed I'm artist, by the way. I made this message, but I'm like, look, if we would have ran LeBron James in Ohio, we'd hold that fucking Senate seat, okay? No, there's Bottom no doubt. Line, right? And so like Matt's talking about Hollywood and it's true we don't tap into the creative nearly much. There is some creative work that comes out of Hollywood, not nearly enough. But where we're really fucking failing is that we've got this talent bench that has 99% name ID. <laughs> Okay, not, not, name ID is the be and end all. It is. It's what you spend those millions on, right? And when you have celebrities, so like if in a perfect world, Beta would not have run in 2022 and Matthew McConaughey would have. And everyone was like, oh, Rachel, that's crazy. And I'm like, if you want to beat Greg Abbott, it's the only fucking way. That's the right? only way. <laughs> and I just, and I just, tip, look, I've spent a couple decades in politics as a congressional staffer, as a campaign manager, as a consultant, and now I talk about it for a living. And I am not the person to do this. I will fully admit that I'm not the person to innovate how we convey these messages. But I guarantee you that the talent exists within our party to, it's like a kegger, okay? I would like to put the key to the room underneath a keg and put Spielberg and what's the name of their company? Like, I'd like to put all of the producers in a room and say, look. Make it a writer's room, basically, it's and like go for it. It's like the movie Roxanne, where Steve Martin comes up with 20-something betters by throwing a dart at a dartboard. I'm gonna come up with 20-something betters to how we do 30-second ads in America. Yeah. Just come up with some different, I don't care how off the wall it is, Let's figure out some better ways to tell Honestly, stories. Honestly, you repeat shit, and you don't just repeat it for six months like Democrats deliver. We got that started. Everyone thinks, oh, that's done now. And I'm like, no, dude. We pound it every forever. day forever because you literally cannot use a slogan over and over enough. It's very important to understand mass marketing principles and to deploy them. We started with a couple of examples, Lee McGowan and this Goldman video. There's some bright lights doing it. I'd like to think the three of us are some of those. And then we talked a little bit about the bad news. Let's conclude this 
turd sandwich with a nice layer of bread of some good news. Mitchell, give us your number one example of something great that you've seen done well recently that's like, Dems, look at this. It's happening. We can do this. Yeah, sure. Michigan, man. Michigan, against a midterm effect, sweeps all three of its statewide offices and flips the state legislature. How did they do it? They did it by running negative partisanship strategy that focused on disqualifying Republicans and making people terrified, A, not to show up to vote against them, and B, not to vote against them when they do show up. And that's how we win. I know it's a tough pill to swallow for people who love substance and good government to say, hey, you got to stop having substantive conversations when you're on Meet the Press and instead use that mic opportunity to attack Republicans, as Cliff was talking about. But that's the reality that we're facing. As shitty as I feel about that, it is not nearly as shitty as I feel about the prospect of seeing trans people jailed, about where this is going to head, and it is yep. very clearly going to head in a very bad spot for the people that liberals claim to care the most about, which are people without power who are in marginalized populations. Cliff, same question to you. What's the best example you've seen? I know we've been highlighting a lot of them here on Blue Amp, but yeah. what's the one that's like a good positive swing thought to take people? I'll pick out the Swalwell example because of this. Because he does it everywhere. He gives a big speech defending Ilan Omar and mocks Republicans and point out what it points out what a joke they are. Whether he's on a TV show, whether he's on a YouTube show, whether he's tweeting it out, in every forum that you give him, he is on offense pointing out what failures they are and pointing out, again, how Democrats deliver and all the successes we've had. Dr. Rachel Bittekoffer, before we let you go, tell us the name of your forthcoming book one more time. Hit them where it hurts, How to Save Democracy by Beating Republicans at Their Own Game. And it comes out sometime this fall. If you like what you're hearing, if you like what you're seeing, and you want to make sure to find that this is self-serving, but subscribe to Blue Amp or follow the Beyond Politics podcast because this show is going to be up there and we will keep you updated, including on our community page with our posts about when you can get and pre-order that book from Dr. Rachel Bittekoffer. Thanks so much for being our guest. This is a ton of fun. We'll do this again. We really appreciate it. Such a good time, guys.